0: Thank you, Paul. Hold your place there in John 21. Uh, That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Anybody glad we're in the last chapter of John? Any amens out there? It's been like 18 months. I wouldn't blame you if you're uh, starting to get a little worn out. Um, We have some really exciting preaching plans coming 2018. And so um, um, within a month or so, we're actually going to transition out of John, get ready for the holidays and and so on. And so I hope you enjoyed this study like I have. And uh, uh, believe it or not, it's really framed and shaped a lot of what we do here, kind of behind the scenes. And so I pray even for you individually. Uh, that the Lord has just really used the gospel of John to speak into your lives and in your hearts. And so um, I also want to extend my gratitude to all of those uh, who uh, serve uh, in the military or who have served. Uh, just thank you so much for that. Uh, I have a, a brother and a brother, brother-in-law brother who are both active right now, and uh, we've seen kind of firsthand the sacrifices you guys make. And the toll that that can take, and so thank you um, sincerely uh, for your service, and I really do pray that you feel the Lord's goodness today. Um, with all that said, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the scriptures together. Our gracious God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, um, to look at it, to, uh, to hear from it, to um, God to be shaped and formed by it. God, I pray that you've already done that work uh, through John, and I pray that you continue that as we come into this final chapter. God, thank you for your word and just your faithfulness to us through it. God, more than anything, we just ask today that we'd remember your goodness, that we'd remember your love for us. And God, that that might give us footing in the hard places of life, that that would give us some ground to walk on as we, as we move forward in just a broken world. and. Um, God, we know you're faithful even when things are hard, even when things are shaky and we don't know what's to come next. We know you're good. We know you're faithful. This morning, more than anything, remind us of that, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, in 2009, um, I married my wife, Kinsey, um, who many of you know, um, and uh, it's been... Almost nine years. I didn't do great at math. And so um, it's been almost nine years since we've been married. So it's just crazy that we've been married almost a decade. And I know that pales to some of you, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years maybe. I don't know. It pales, you know, in comparison to some of you out there. And so, uh, but even in the span of time that we've been married, we've learned a lot. Um, and I go back to even when we were dating. And there were two things that were in my mind when we were dating. One um, was just that this woman that I loved and I was infatuated with, you know, she, she just had a good way of mothering and nurturing, nurturing and caring. And I know many of you in here are like, well, yeah, she's a woman. She's supposed to be good at that stuff. Um, but in my mind, and again, maybe I was biased, she seemed to kind of have a supernatural gift at it. And um, early on, you know, we were doing high school ministry and uh, there were a lot of girls who just kind of came from broken homes and Kenzie was able to kind of fill some of those motherly gaps for them and and uh, um, I just saw that in Kenzie I just knew she's just going to have a huge family someday you know Uh, even when she was 20 and she was feeding uh, these these 15 16 year old girls who just had mother issues you know I I could just see that she's going to be a mother she's going to take care of kids she's going to have a family like I just I just knew that about her right even from when we were dating so I had that in my hand um, and if you've known me, you know, long enough, then you know that I also had this other thing in my hand. It's kind of a medical issue that, that I always knew would keep me from providing that for her biologically, right? Um, I always knew that that was going to be a thing. And so I knew this about her, but I knew this about me. And I was like, some point, this is going to come to a head. I didn't know how it was going to. Um, and, and, and so it did uh, eventually. And it started when we got married. You know, when you're dating, you don't really think too far down the line. You don't really care about that stuff. You know what I mean? You're just, you're dating. You know it's going to be a thing, but you just kind of wait for it to be a thing until you address it as a thing. Am I? Are you tracking? <laughs> and so we got married in 2009, and from the get-go, we start feeling the stress and the pressures of unmet expectations, um, you know, unmet hopes uh, that, that we had. You know, there was, with my condition, there's like a .001% chance that things could happen. And so that was just enough to, like, ruin our lives for a while, you know, because we had that hope and we had that expectation to just have a normal thing and it didn't happen and so on and so forth. But so from 2009 to 2014, it was just this five-year period of, of wrestling with the Lord, right? I, I remember the late nights, the sleepless hours, the, the disunity and conflict that even her and I had trying to figure out what was to come next, the pressure and the stress of unmet expectations, I remember the counsel we would receive a lot from people who would say, you know, hey, I know you want to be parents, but look at all these young people that you have in your youth group. Can't you just parent them? And, and can't that be just good enough, you know? And um, they meant well, and it helped uh, for a period of time. It was never fully healing because it just kind of wasn't the same. I remember friends and family of ours would begin to, um, you know, start popping out kids. Um, and and so we'd be kind of close-knit with some of these people who were having Children and, and I would just watch Kinsey as she would just genuinely and gladly just congratulate them and just be there for them. And, and, and knowing two hours later in the back of my mind, she would be on the bed just curled up, bawling her eyes out. I'd be pacing the house trying to figure out what I could do to possibly heal this situation for her, knowing full well that I was absolutely powerless. There's nothing I could do. I've never felt more powerless, more confused in all my life. Than to try to meet the deepest desire of my wife and having no ability in and of myself to do that. Right? Maybe you can give witness to to being in your own place of just being powerless. Right? And along with that even though I was kind of serving in ministry here I was in and out of these spiritual ruts these plateaus you know you you wrestle with doubt you wrestle with belief you wrestle with all these things when you struggle. Right? Whenever you're kind of in that low uh, in, in that place in your life and Praise God that, you know, fifth year, in our fifth year of marriage in May 2014, uh, we had a placement put in our home, this little chunky, lazy-eyed girl, you know, that we got through the, through the foster system. Her name's Larissa. We've adopted her since then. But God, somehow in that fifth year, put us on a track, on a pathway. But it happened after Kinsey just kind of had this uh, revelation, I guess. God just impressed contentment and joy and peace upon her heart in a way that I could never forge or create. Right, Philippians uh, 4 says to not be anxious about anything, but to be thankful in everything as you present your quest, request to God, and the peace of God will, will guard your hearts. For whatever reason, the Lord just used that and just stuck that on her heart, and, and that began to just kind of heal us, you know, as a relationship, and, um, and the Lord took it from there took us into foster care, just see he did a bunch of stuff that I couldn't begin to unravel for you now, but God just provided all along. But the point is, is that when we were there, I did not see it, right? I did not feel the provision. I felt it occasionally, I guess, but now that I'm, look, now that I'm here, five years removed, looking retrospectively at what was going on, I see God's goodness throughout the whole thing. But in the moment, I felt like I was just plateauing. I felt like I was in these spiritual ruts. Um, I felt like I was just stuck right are you there by the way have you experienced this is this possibly where you are this morning right there's a lot of things in life that can put us in this place where we feel powerless where we feel like we're just waiting on the lord to to move Maybe you're, you're trying to find a, a degree to go into. You feel like all of your life, it, it comes down to just this one moment where you decide what to do with your future. You know, if you're a young person and you're trying to figure out where to go. Maybe you're a young person and you're looking for a life partner and you understand that if you're a Christian, that's getting harder and harder these days. Right? And so you're in that place of transition. You're wondering, Lord, is, there that, is that person out there or what? And if so, why haven't you given that to me? Right? You, you get stuck in that place. Or maybe you're in a career change. You know you got to make a big decision. You've lost your job or, or the Lord's kind of working in that regard. I don't know. Loss of loved ones. Medical issues. All of these things could just put you right in that place of just feeling stuck, of feeling weak, of feeling powerless, of feeling like you're waiting. And somehow you're supposed to trust God in all of that. Right? And I can say with confidence, just given my own life, that down the road, when you look back, regardless of if it's resolved or not, when you look back, you'll see his goodness if you walk in faith. But even now, I think there's things that we can remember, things that we can look back to and see, you know, God, God is good. And I wish I would have preached this sermon to me six, seven years ago. Honestly, I wish I would have just had this in my head, right? When we're in those places, when, we're, in, when we're stuck, what can we look back to? What can we remember so that we might have some footing, right? We need, we need just a step. We need something in that, in that dark kind of place. What do we got? And, and I think the answer here in John 21, at least for these guys, was to just simply look back, to look back. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of take a stroll down memory lane. We're going to look at some things from John 21 that we can remember even in our own lives as we, as we, Wrestle with the world, and as we get caught in these places that really are just kind of a, it's just a universal thing for, for a believer in Christ, for a true believer in Christ, you're going to experience this. You're going to experience this. you live We all live in the same world, and if you have a passion for Jesus, it's not going to be all easy and just, just whatever. It's not going to be that way. You're going to have these spots. What can we remember when we're in these places? And the first is this. Uh, before I get into that, actually, if you have a bulletin, um, we're trying something new this morning. I just want to uh, let you know about this. There's little bullet points that you can follow along on the back of that, right? So if you like, if you're a note taker, I've heard um, so many stats that say that to write it down after you hear it doubles your chances of remembering it. So that's that. Or if you're just kind of restless and you're like, when is he going to get done with this? You can kind of track along, see how far along we are, and, and you'll have a good idea, Okay. So, that's that. John 21, 1 through 6, the first thing we're going to look at is to remember your past life. Remember your past life, and we'll explain that. First, let's read these first six verses. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana, When they did, they were unable to haul in the net. They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, before we move on, let me go and just make this disclaimer disclaimer real fast. When we're talking about memories, when we're talking about things that that we look back on, things that we're reminded of, we need to know that there's a very healthy and a very unhealthy way of doing this. Do you understand that? The healthy way <coughs> is for these, <coughs> excuse me, for these memories, for these reminders to actually thrust you into ministry. That's the healthy part, right? Uh, if they push you into deeper seeking after Christ, then it's good to look back and remember things good or bad, right? It's good to go back. But if if they cause you to, to be hindered, if they distract you from pursuing Christ, Paul says in Philippians 3, forget about it. To forget about it. And to strain forward for the goal. Okay? And so we're going to be looking. We're going to be dredging up memories. Some of them good. Some of them bad. We'll remember his provision. But we'll also remember our sinfulness against him. Right? Good and bad memories. But if they thrust you into ministry, if they thrust you into following after Jesus, then they are good. And you need to let that happen. To let it happen. Okay? And this is kind of on the line for the disciples. They, they, they were following Jesus into the establishment of the church right? right after John opens up this book of Acts where we see these disciples. Jesus is into heaven and these disciples are establishing the church. God is using them to, to establish the church age in which we still live, right? So what these guys did, we're partaking of right now, right? So Jesus, he, he rose from the grave and after he rose from the grave, he was on this earth for 40 days, After his resurrection. And at that time, uh, or at the end of that time, it ended with all of the believers in Jerusalem. With Jesus telling them to wait there for the Spirit to come on them. Right? Jesus' last words to the disciples before he ascended into heaven was was the Great Commission. Which many of you know, but Acts 1 verse 8 gives us a, a condensed version of the Great Commission. Where Jesus says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Right? So at the end of that 40 days, they're all in Jerusalem. But right now in John 21, for for various reasons, we're in Galilee, which is not necessarily right next to Jerusalem. So Jesus set up this field trip for whatever reason and sends some of these disciples to Galilee before they go back to Jerusalem and before he ascends into heaven. Uh, in, in Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So why this little visit to Galilee? Bible scholars bicker about this quite a bit uh, from what I've discovered just in, commentate, uh, just, uh, in uh, commentaries. Why was this trip necessary? Why was it necessary to go to Galilee in order to prepare to fulfill the Great Commission as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem? What's the point? And the point is this, Jesus wanted to take them back to the beginning. He wanted to take them back to the beginning to when they first met Jesus. Look at this in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. It should be on your screen so you can follow along. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who was Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat. Both of these guys are present there in John 21, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay? So in in Mark 1, Jesus meets some of these guys in Galilee. Galilee is where many of them are from. It's where Jesus Uh, tells them to go after he rises from there. You see kind of how at the beginning and end of Jesus' ministry on earth they're in Galilee. The beginning and end for these disciples. Their time with Jesus begins in Galilee, ends in Galilee. So these disciples are there. They're waiting. Probably with questions that many of you have. What's going on? What's coming next? He told us to go here. What's the reason? And Peter says, you know what? I don't know what's going on so I'm here. I'm in my comfort zone. I'm going to go fishing. And these other guys, many of them fishermen, are like, yeah, we're going to come too. That sounds good. And in that moment, they, they, they just go back to what they knew for so long, their entire lives. Before Jesus came and crashed their, crashed their life, they go back to it. They're back in their comfort zone, back in their home, back doing what they've done their whole lives. You ever have those things that they just start setting off these mental triggers and you start remembering things that you haven't remembered like forever ago? The other night, I, I found this movie that, that me and my siblings grew up on. It's this old uh, Laurel and Hardy movie. Anybody know who they are? One of the, the comedic duos from, from days old, right? And, and so they had this dumb movie that, that we grew up on, and so I popped it in, or I played it on YouTube, actually. Nobody pops anything in these days, do they? Um, so I played it on YouTube, and we're watching it as a family, and in my mind, my mind's just buzzing with all of these Memories of things from when I was like eight years old, and I didn't remember until then. You know, my family didn't get it. They're like, "This is weird." You know, they, it doesn't work. Um, but you have those things where they just it, your mind starts triggering, right? Just think about these guys. They're back on their back in their on their home turf, back on their lake that they know so well, right? Think of just the flashbacks of just home, familiar faces, familiar scenery. A lot of these guys did this as part of their family business. And so, you know, they've been doing this for generations. They have memories that go back to birth. Think about the schedule, right? The the flashback of their schedule. Some of you guys saw the the Veterans Day video, and you probably had flashbacks back to your days in the service and what that was like and getting up early and making your bed and all that good stuff, right? That's probably what these guys had. Wake up, get the boat ready, pack your lunch, hit the water, you're going to get hot at some point, so you'll probably jump in, the, jump in the sea, cool off, you cast your nets, you pull them in, you get your fish, you sell them, you cook them, you buy them, you eat them, whatever you do, go to sleep and then do it all again and again and again, night and day, night and day. That's your schedule. That's what you do. That's your life, right? The flashbacks to livelihood, supporting the home and the family. You work hard to put food on the table, right? You contribute to society, Don't be a slacker. Do your job. Do your job well so others can benefit and so we can keep the money moving around and so our our community can thrive, right? Do your job. All of that stuff, it's just, all of a sudden, it's just right there, day and night, day and night, the schedules and all that stuff. And back in Mark chapter 1, what we see is Jesus stepped onto the scene and say, stop it all and follow me. All of it. Come follow me. But he doesn't just aimlessly say, hey, come follow, this. come follow me. I'm just a random guy. You don't know anything about me. We'll see uh, in Luke 5 that he actually kind of proves himself even early on. But he calls him with a mission. He says, come with me, and I'm going to give you something bigger than anything you've ever lived for, to be a fisher of men, to be a fisher of men, which essentially is his, is his way of saying the Great Commission except three years ago in a way that they would understand somewhat. Does that make sense? Follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Right? That, he just crashed into the world. So maybe some of you are here this morning. You don't even have to go too far back to, to remember your past life because you're still living it. Right? This is your present life. Morning, night, morning, night, work, and do to put food on the table to contribute to society and community. Right? Don't be a slacker. You do it all in familiar faces and scenery. You know what you're doing. You know your schedule. You do it well. Throw in a Sabbath rest every once in a while, and boom, that's life. That's a week. And then do it all again on Monday. And then do it all again on the following Monday. That's your life. That's what you live for. It's just livelihood and working hard and doing all the things that you're supposed to do. Can I ask just an honest question this morning? Are you content with that? Are you satisfied living just for the day? Living for the sole purpose of having food on your table and being a hard worker and having a healthy retirement and contributing to society all in the places that make you most comfy in life? I want to tell you something. If Jesus Christ has truly busted into your life and if pursuit of him is truly priority number one in your life, you would not be satisfied with that. You would not be satisfied with that. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to just drop their things, go become a missionary. If he's calling you to do that, then you need to do that, obviously. Right? But unless he does that, your job, your work ethic, your bank account, your contribution to society, and ability to provide for your family, the idea is that these things are not the end purpose of your life. They're just not. He's called you to something bigger and greater if you are in Christ. All of these things, they are merely, merely tools for the purpose of Christ and his gospel. Nothing in your life comes close to comparing to his call in your life to be fishers of men. Essentially the great commission to go out to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to spread the love of Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's top. That's number one. Yet how often do we live for all these other things that he calls us to follow him rather than live for those as our purpose. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about our past life, what you were living for, what your mission was. Listen to this in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says, His power, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through him you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, when we're talking about your past life, we're talking about purpose. We're talking about meaning. We're talking about your mission in life. What you live for. Before Christ, you didn't know the things that pertain to true life, to godliness. You didn't know the precious promises of the Lord. You were not participating in in the divine nature. You are not a, a participant in the divine nature. But when Christ broke through and entered your life, they're all made abundant to you. Now if you're here and you're in one of those rocky places, the reason we say this is because you need to know that nothing can strip you of his purpose and his promises. Nothing can cheat you out of your knowledge and participation with the divine nature. That's a praise God statement. May this fuel you To persevere for his sake and the purpose he's laid upon you. We remember our past life, what we were living for, and how that pales in comparison to what Jesus has called you to. It's a privilege, by the way. It's not a burden. It's a privilege to do this. The next thing we remember, we remember our past life, but within that, not only our purpose and our meaning and all that kind of stuff, but but within that we remember our painful denial our painful denial, and we use that language because that's what Peter experienced. Remember, he denied Jesus three times, and Jesus, in a roundabout way, reminds him of that. Look at John chapter 21, 7 through 9. The, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals were there with fish on it and some bread. Okay. I want to read another passage for you. This is from Luke chapter 5. And this is when Jesus first meets um, Simon Peter, but it's in in Luke 5. So it's a different kind of account, all the same stuff, but it's there. Listen to this and then connect this with John 21 and what we just read. This is verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Sound familiar? Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. You understand that? You see, we, this just happened in John 21. But listen to Simon's response. In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had had, had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. There's that command there. And so he pulled their boats up to shore, left everything and followed him. Left everything and followed him. Okay, that's Luke 5. You see the similarities. It's a very similar story, isn't it? But what is most striking is in Luke 5, verse 8, where Simon Peter has the catch of his life. And in view of that, he looks at Jesus and he has no response but to just fall down at Jesus' uh, knees and say, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. Get away, get away. I'm a sinful person. See, somehow it connected in his mind that Jesus was more than just a dude. Perhaps he was the holy one sent from God himself. There was something about him that he could command the fish, he could command the sea. Like, how did that happen? And so in view of that, Peter says, I'm a sinful person. Have you ever had that thing happen where God seems to go over and beyond to bless you, right? And and what it does is remind you of how unworthy you are of him. Right? You just hit that moment where everything's just going good, and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the, with the goodness of the Lord. And then you, you start asking for, you, you start repenting of your sin because He's been so good to you, and all you can do is be yourself, and you're sinful, and you're unworthy. And so it takes you to that point. I tell you what, those can exponentially thrust you into pursuit of Christ more than most other memories can. Right? After all, that's kind of his nature, right? He gave us Christ when we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This is what he does. But I think in particular for for Peter here in in John 21, I think what we see in John 21 would remind John of Luke 5, where he remembers the holiness of Jesus. And once again, he would be drawn to, to just bow. But that's not the only thing that kind of reminded Peter of his downfalls, right? The last time Peter jumped into a boat or sorry, jumped into a a lake to to meet Jesus, he almost started drowning, right, because of his lack of faith. Not only that, there's this interesting detail here where Jesus lights a fire with burning coals because he's cooking them breakfast. And the only other time charcoal is even mentioned in the New Testament is when uh, Peter denies Jesus. Jesus is making his way to the cross and Peter's standing with a group of people around a fire and they're like, hey, you were with that guy, weren't you? And Simon Peter's like, no, I wasn't. Three times he says that, and the rooster crows the second time. And it says in Luke's gospel that Jesus and Peter made eye contact. as Jesus is making his way to the cross. Peter makes eye contact with Jesus after he just denied him three times. You don't forget that level of sinfulness and brokenness and shame. You don't forget that. But you can use it. Think if you were Peter, by the way. You denied Christ three times. You made eye contact with him. How glad would you be to see him rise from the grave, not only that, to, to, to approach you as a, as a friend, not with a rod of discipline or anger out of revenge. He's cooking you breakfast. How would you respond to Jesus if you denied him to his face like that, and now all you're experiencing is Jesus just pursuing you? One commentator put it this way, and I think he kind of, he kind of, nailed it perfectly, he, he said um, Peter jumps in to swim uh, to Jesus he rushes to his Savior with impetuous joy, tinged with remorse tinged with remorse see Peter remembered his denial, his sin his lack of faith and as followers of Christ, we must be reminded of who we were before we met Jesus bound by these things, unforgiven not just aimless, but unforgiven, filthy Sinful. Why is it good to remember that? Well, let me ask you a question that will help us answer that. Why do you follow Jesus Christ right now? What brought you here this morning? If you claim Christ as Lord over your life, if you claim to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, why? If your answer has has nothing to do with with the forgiveness that he has placed upon you for very sinful things. If your answer doesn't include a list of sinfulness that he's forgiven you from, then your answer is incomplete. Your answer is incomplete. That's the gospel. He came to forgive you of your sins, yet so many people think they can just live in Christ without ever really owning up to anything. Never even acknowledge their own sin. In which case, you kind of just remove some of the purpose that he even came. It doesn't work that way. Ephesians 2 says this 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. you see what that is? That's a memory. He's reminding them of who they were before they knew Christ, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. You remember what he's forgiven you from, and you are more in tune with the forgiveness that he's given. You're more in tune with his love, with his mercy, and you will not be able to help but to share that with people. Jesus also said this, those who have been forgiven little, love little. Right? In other words, those who are in constant awareness of what they've been forgiven from and saved from, those are the ones who are loving and serving and giving and sharing the same hope with other people. His forgiveness is fuel for the pursuit. I know so many people who talk a big game, right? They have their spiritual resume and they, 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 they talk about it a lot and people nod their heads and kindly just say, oh yeah, yeah, that's really great of you. But I'm telling you what, this reveals itself. Those who forgive little, love little. It's clear who is in tune with their forgiveness. You're not fooling anyone and I'm not either when I try to pretend. It's clear and... It's clear for the church as well, as a body of believers, as a body of believers, right? We had a wonderful baptism this morning. My friend Dane, the Danimal, right, gave his life to Christ, and we're so glad about that. Carter last week and Michael uh, the same week. We had these baptisms, and last week we had this congregational meeting, right? And we, we talked about how we had 30 new members, and we were able to celebrate six, now seven new baptisms, It's wonderful, praise God. People are growing, people are being nurtured in their faith and all that kind of stuff. And we never discredit any of that because that's all God's doing. But I hope that Brett and I and the staff here are not the only ones challenged and convicted to know that we are a congregation of nearly 300 people and we filled this tank up once every other month. I'm not saying we're a numbers-based ministry, but I'm saying there's an implication to that that could possibly say that some of us have fallen asleep on the mission. We claim that we've been forgiven, but all of our love goes to, goes to things that we care about. All of our love goes to ourselves, to our experience, to, to our church at FBN, to our families, to our sports, to our homes, to our work. We're not loving others for the sake of the gospel because we have forgotten what we have been saved from ourselves. We claim their forgiveness, but we are not in tune with it. Again, I know many of you are serving. I'm not trying to just guilt trip everybody, but that's got to be convicting at some level. And there's going to be more of that. 2018, we're actually trying to address that very issue. And so 2018, we have a whole preaching schedule designed to, to help us thrust us into this community, into this world, saving people in the name of Jesus, by the power of his name and for his glory. This is what we've been called to do. We cannot slouch on it, and I believe that the Lord is, is expecting much more of this ministry in that regard. Much more. Peter was fully aware of his shortcomings, and you know how that ended? It ended him dying for the name of Christ because he was so aware of what God had forgiven him from, there was nothing that could keep him from sharing the love of Christ. There was nothing. Remember your past life. Remember your painful denial And we'll try to wrap this up a little little quickly with these last couple of points. Remember your moments. Remember your point of faith. Your point of faith. See, Jesus brought these guys back to the start. Peter, for example, he, he saw the miracle Jesus did to fill the boats until they were sinking. He was overcome with sin, and so he left everything to follow Jesus. And I just think it would help us to think back to when we first met Jesus Christ. Do you remember when you first met Jesus Christ, or was it just something that you were born into and you never really thought about it? Do you remember when you first met Jesus Christ? I heard a story of a young man not that long ago who, he made some bad decisions. He was in rehab, uh, drug rehab, and, and while at drug rehab, some guys just came in, loved on him. Uh, he gave his life to Christ, and he had no other choice but to just go outside, look up the stars, and just raise his hands and just, thank you, Lord, you saved my life eternally. He just could not help it. He just poured out. He met Jesus. He met Jesus Christ. And I thought of Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, the human beings that you care for them? Isn't that crazy? The same God that put the vastness of space, the galaxies, the universe together, the creator God, and all of his power, all of his majesty, all of his majesty, and he zoned in on you. He zoned in on me. He knows me better than I know me. He knows the hairs on my head. And he looked at me as as Adam Connor, not just a random dude, and and said, I want you, Adam. And he said that to you. Remember the moment when you looked back at him and you said, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Some people have have come to this place where they just, they play the Christianity game, but they've never just had that moment where they've just said to Jesus in full submission of will and heart, consciously said, I am yours. You're Lord of my life now. Remember that moment when you said that back to him, when you gave him your heart. And I'm telling you what, if you remember that moment, like these guys probably did, the gratitude in your heart will outweigh the pressures of life, at least for a moment. The thankfulness will, will overflow in your heart. Remember that place. Okay? And lastly, remember your point of faith. And lastly, remember his provision. Remember his provision for you. And let's close out the, uh, this passage here, verses 10 through 14. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus has this moment to him, by the way, for Peter to just sit down and have breakfast with Jesus. We'll find out later it wasn't an easy breakfast, but the fact that he's able to have breakfast with Jesus and not just be smitten on the spot, that had to be refreshing, right? But think about the little details. In Luke 5, it says that the net was breaking. In this passage, John 21, the net wasn't breaking, right? Um, Jesus cooks them breakfast, right? He's Doing these little things just to take care of them. Not only that, but do you recall any meals with, with fish and bread as the menu? There were two really, really big meals with that menu, right? Jesus feeds thousands of people. And in this way, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm calling you to something huge. And by these little things, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm there for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you everything you need, right? Right? Notice the small things. Oftentimes God's greatest proofs of faithfulness are found in the small things that we overlook, right? Jesus said, look at the flowers, look at the birds, right? These little things. And and they don't worry about all of this little stuff. He's like, you don't have to either. I'm going to be faithful. But he, he proves his faithfulness in the little things because he's faithful in the big as well. Right? Jesus knew he was calling these disciples too. He knew these men would lose their lives for his namesake. He knew they would sacrifice everything to follow him. And he gives them these soft reminders of his power to care for them. And then his last words on the earth, Matthew 28, verse 20, before he ascends into heaven, he says this. He tells his disciples that he will always be with them to the very end of the age. In that place of transition, he was with them, serving them, directing them, loving them, cooking them breakfast. And it carried out. When they were imprisoned and flogged and beaten and ran out of towns, he gave them joy in that mission. When they were confronted with the blind and the sick and the demon-possessed, he gave them power uh, of his name to heal them. When they were to speak to the crowds or when they were on trial, he filled their words with wisdom and grace. When they were beheaded, when they were boiled in oil, when they were exiled, when they were crucified, when they were beat to death, he was their confidence and he was their assurance. Revelation, Revelation chapter 21 tells us that it's their names that, that are inscribed on the foundations uh, of the walls of the new city in heaven. The implication there is that there is great reward when you're, when you're ready to follow Jesus at this level. And he says, I'm going to take care of you all the way to the reward. I'm going to be there for you. I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. When their lives were on the line God was faithful. When life was hard, God was faithful. When everything was crumbling, God was faithful. When they experienced traumatic loss and persecution, God was faithful. When they were victims of cruel and innocent, or cruel and evil people, God was faithful. And I encourage you in your current place of trial, if you're trying to find footing, remember where your life was before you knew him. Remember what you were up to before he saved your soul. Remember the moment you gave your life to him. Remember his provision for you. And when you do this, there's two things that will happen. One, uh, I'm certain because it's happening, you you will be refreshed. As refreshing as it was for Peter to sit and have breakfast with the man he had just denied. that's, That's the kind of refreshing it will be. Right, <clears throat> It will be a breath of fresh air as you spiritually seek after him, as you spiritually pursue him. But not only that, you'll be reestablished, which is kind of the point of this. Jesus was trying to reinstate, reestablish these disciples because he knew that they were about to step into a big thing. And he's wanting to ground them now. Part of doing that was taking them back. <clears throat> you'll be refreshed. You'll be reestablished. You'll have a step when it feels like there's no ground there. Some of you might be in such a place today, you might be having to remember these things daily because your life circumstance right now is that hard. Keep it up. He is faithful to you. He is there with you. He will sustain you. Let the past remind you of this. And I don't mean to quote that dumb song there. Okay? Let the past remind you. Maybe you're here and you've not any, you, you don't have any of these memories. So you're left to whatever you can conjure and muster in the moment. I pray today you would know that Jesus wants a relationship with you, that his hope and forgiveness and purpose and grace is available to you simply by believing upon the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe in your heart, confess, make a conscious decision to follow him and receive him as Lord over your life. And today you'll begin a line of memories that you can look back on in the future and think, God is good, God is faithful, God has provided. And I'm telling you, when you remember God's goodness in the past this always gives you footing for whatever you're dealing with in the present. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you today just with, with humbled hearts in full view of your goodness, but God, also in full view of, of, of who we were, what we once were, the way we live, the missions we lived for. God, all of these things, we pray that today would just be a a retrospective day where you just drudge it all up and you remind us of how good you are to sustain us, to love us, even when we've forsaken you and denied you, how you've purposed us when when we had no idea what we were doing in life and how you provided for us even in our darkest, most lonely nights. Father, I pray for that person out there who's struggling. They would remember your good that they would remember all the times before that you've been good, that you've proven faithful to them, and to know that the current situation will also be one that you are going to be good and faithful in. God, for each person out there who is, they have no line of memories because they don't know you, they're playing the Christian game and they're doing it well, but they've never just understood that you have sought them out, that you have laid eyes upon them and said, I want you, and they've, and they've acknowledged it, but they've never just given themselves back to you. They've never, they've never said you, I'm yours God I pray that today they would say with, with full consciousness And full submission of their will I believe and I want to follow you I want you to be Lord over my life God I pray that people would make That decision today God thank you for your word Thank you for the ministry of your word And, 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 and the witness That it brings into our lives I pray that you would shape us and mold us Much further past uh, this day um, and God, that you would receive the praise and glory for it all. It was in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.